Well, good morning, church. It is good to see everybody out this morning. If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible and open up with me for just a moment to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus speaking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Good morning, folks. It is good to be back with you here at church this morning. just want to say it's good to see all your faces, all our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are certainly glad to be in your presence this morning. If you consider yourself a visitor this morning, we just want to say welcome. And we are so glad that you are in our presence this morning and that you've joined us. And we would love to get to know you a little while after church. You know, guys, if you want to get anywhere in life, if we want to go somewhere, anywhere, we need direction. we got to have direction, otherwise we won't know where to go. And I'll tell you, if you ever need directions, there's a guy that's at the back of our church usually, Brother Benny, and Brother Benny will give you directions wherever you need to go, okay? By the way, if you ever need someone to talk to, go talk to Benny, okay? He loves giving directions. And I'll tell you, as a young person, as a a small child, I have some strange memories in the recesses of my mind of my parents scrambling trying to print off maps before a long road trip. So they went to Google and printed off the maps, and that's what we use. We used a map. And my generation is much different. We don't use maps. I'll confess to you, I'm not sure I would do too well trying to navigate with a map. But instead, I take out my phone, and I just say, hey, and I plug the address in, and it gets me where I'm going. That's how my generation operates, but the fact remains, we need direction. We need direction in life, and wouldn't it just be nice If I could pop open my phone and I could go, Hey Siri, give me directions to the closest Bible-based church in my neighborhood. Or I could say, Hey Google, give me directions to the nearest church who loves Jesus and preaches the truth. Wouldn't it be great if it was just that easy? But guys, that's the direction that we should all be trying to move in. Getting back to biblical reality. And don't you want to be a part of a godly church? Don't you want to be a part of a church who follows God's will for the church and for its people? And that brings us to the topic this morning. What is your foundation? Do you have a solid foundation? And if you have a foundation, is there actually authority behind that foundation? Is that foundation authoritative? Because you know, folks, there are groups all around the world today who profess to be Christian. They claim, by name, to be Christian organizations. But they have much different foundations. When you get into a conversation with 
someone who attends one of these churches, you, you quickly learn that their foundations are much different than biblical foundations. You know, many of you know I've studied with some Mormons recently. They came and knocked on my door the other day. And I'll tell you, the foundations of the LDS church, the Latter-day Saints, their foundations is entirely different from our foundations here today. Now, I'll tell you, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, they have the Bible. They do. But, you know, they also have the Book of Mormon. They have the Pearl of Great Price. They have the Doctrine and Covenants. Those are all books written by Joseph Smith. And on top of all that, not only do they have the teachings of Joseph Smith, but they have the teachings of every prophet that they have brought forth since him, all the way leading up today to the current prophet. You know, they just recently changed their name. They're no longer Mormon. They want to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Things change in their religion. And if you examine what's happening right now in this organization, a lot of things are changing. It's happening very fast. Think about the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, another group that we see often that will come knock on your door like the Mormons. The Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, yes, they have the Bible. But guess what? They also have their own translation that, quite honestly, is not... It's a very poor translation, the New World Translation. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, they have the Scripture in their own translation, but guess what they also have? They have the ecclesiastical body of the Watchtower and Tract Society based in New York. Okay, so not only do they have Scripture in their own translation, but they also have the words of men. And actually, there's eight men in New York right now that lead the Watchtower and Tract Society of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So what is their authority? Think about our Roman Catholic brothers, our Roman Catholic friends for a moment. You know, our Roman Catholics, they have the scriptures, of course, mixed in with a few other books. But on top of that foundation, they also have the office, the office of the papacy, the Pope. Okay, so not only do they have scripture, but they have to take authority from the office of the Pope. And so not only do they have Scripture, but they have to take the teaching magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church and place those things right alongside each other. Is that a solid foundation? Is it a scriptural foundation? And think about organizations like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, that organization has helped a lot of people. But my question is, what AA says about addiction and what AA says about God, is that authoritative? How about what our government says about sex and biology today and gender? Or what our education system says about those things? Is that authoritative? Or is the Bible, is God's Word authoritative? What is your foundation for what you believe? Is it a solid rock that will never change and never move and support your your house, your structure that you're building? Or is your foundation sand that just shifts under time and shifts under the weight of our feet. And if you have a foundation, what is the authority behind that foundation? Because guys, I'll tell you, I want the same foundation as Jesus Christ. I want that same standard. I want the same standard that the apostles held to in the first century. I, I want the same standard that God's people have held to for all of creation. Okay? God's word is our authority. And that brings us to the study this morning. Starting out, we're going to talk about biblical authority today. Starting out, you know, if anyone ever asks you, what's your authority? I'll tell you, simply put, the easiest answer is Jesus, okay? Ultimately, He is our authority. In Matthew 28, verse 18, we read all, this is Jesus speaking, all authority in heaven and on earth 
has been given to me. All authority relies, it lies in Jesus. Okay? And that's just the easy answer to the question. Where's our authority? We get another picture of this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. So previously in the Old Testament, God spoke to the people through the prophets. And now for us today in the New Testament, God speaks to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you might say, I, that sounds great, but I don't really understand how that works. How does it work? Well, we're going to examine some of that this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21 through 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation... For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the prophets who wrote down the books of the law, wrote down the scriptures, they weren't interpreting what they thought God told them. No, they were writing down what they were directed to write down. There was a force that moved them A force from God, which is the Holy Spirit. And they were carried along by that force. Now you might say, once again, that sounds great, but I don't really understand how that all works. Well, Jesus speaks to this for us in John chapter 14. Jesus tells his disciples, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to help you and guide you and direct you, and it's actually going to help you remember everything that I've said during my ministry. And so what we have right here in John 16 is a passing down of authority from Jesus. Jesus gives his authority to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit then gives that authority to the apostles. And so now, when the apostles speak, their words carry that same authority. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't mind, put your hand in front of your mouth for just a second. And I want you just to breathe. You can feel your own breath on your hand. Jesus breathed on the disciples. You see, all this is connected. And just as God, Jesus is saying, just as God sent me, I am going to send you. And then He breathed on them. And the Holy Spirit was going to come and then remind them of all things. Hebrews chapter 2. We read a little bit more about what this process looked like in the first century. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So first, Jesus declares this message. Jesus declares this message. And then that message is confirmed by those who heard him. Okay, 
So the apostles and the disciples who walked with Jesus and were a part of his earthly ministry, they have that message now and they are confirming what Jesus had said. But, you know, and and, and that works for us today too because we have the Gospels. So we have that same message confirmed through the Gospel accounts. These are eyewitness testimonies from men who walked with Jesus. But I want you to think about in the first century for a moment. You know, the first century church didn't have this Bible put together yet. Okay, and so they're waiting for letters from the apostles. And in fact, they're actually waiting. They don't know it, but they're waiting for the apostles to actually show up in their cities and preach the truth. Okay, and so they don't have all these letters, all these books collected like we do. And so my question to you is, how did they know? How did they know that what the apostles came and taught was true? Well, this verse tells us that God bore signs and miracles. God bore witness to the authority of the apostles by giving them the ability to perform miracles. So throughout the first century, anywhere the apostles go, guess what we see follow them? Signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was confirmation that they were from God. What's interesting is that now, as the apostles speak, their very words carry that same authority. You could call this apostolic authority. In fact, I think that is the technical theological term, term, apostolic authority. So not only as the apostles speak do their words have authority, but also as they write. You see, as the apostles wrote down the letters that they sent out to the churches, those letters contain that same authority as their spoken word. And that is what was delivered to us. That's what's delivered to us in the Holy Scriptures. That same exact authority. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 says, As he does in all his letters, this is Peter speaking of Paul, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You see, what Peter's doing here is he is taking Paul's letters and he's placing those letters right alongside all the rest of Scripture. You see, the New Testament, all of the New Testament, carries that same apostolic authority. We read more about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says to Timothy, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word there, breathed out, in the Greek is theonoustos. It literally means God breathed. And that is what we have in the Scriptures. And just like Jesus breathed on the disciples and sent them out and inspired them, these Holy Scriptures the same is breathed out by God. And so now all Scripture is profitable not only for doctrine, but for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Now, I just want to kind of show you with a diagram how this actually works for us. You see, in the Old Testament, in times past, God spoke to His people in a very particular type of way. God either spoke directly to the people through dreams and visions, or God spoke through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Ghost, through the prophets, 
directing them with dreams and visions. And some things were written and they passed that to the people. That is how God spoke to His people in times past. But now to us in the New Testament, God speaks to us through His Son Jesus who sends a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who then gives that information to the apostles and the prophets. And then as they speak and as they write down the letters, we now have that same authority written in God's Word, in the Bible. That is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us here today in the 21st century through His Scripture. I know we've got a lot of sports fans here this morning. And I know we've got some young men who play baseball down here. Baseball is a big sport here in America. It's our greatest pastime. I want you to imagine for just a moment, let's say we hadn't played baseball in a hundred years. Okay, let's imagine for just a second that a hundred years ago the game of baseball went extinct. And we didn't even know how to play baseball. In fact, we didn't even use the stadiums anymore. Okay, the Ranger Stadium's completely empty, the grass has grown super high. Okay, it's fallen apart. Baseball hasn't been played in a hundred years. And we decide, man, I heard about this game, this ancient game they used to play a hundred years ago. I want to play it. What would we do? Well, we would probably go to that stadium and see if we can find a manual. How do we play this game of baseball? What's the rule book? And we would unearth that rule book and we would start to study and learn how to play baseball. And suddenly we would have rules in place and we would put people in the outfield and people on each base. And we would have a pitcher and a catcher and we would have another team ready to bat. And, and we would switch and we would have coaches and we would have a ref. And we would follow that manual, that instruction booklet for how to play the game of baseball. And you know, Scripture operates in that same way for us. It is our manual. It is our instruction booklet for how God wants us to live our lives and how God wants us to operate as a church. We believe the Bible to be the written revelation of God, complete and sufficient in all respects. We believe the Scriptures to be God-breathed, and therefore they are fully authoritative in and of themselves. They rely for their authority upon no church, no council, no man, no creed, but they are authoritative simply because they are the Word of God. The Scriptures, as they embody the very speaking of God, partake in His authority and His power. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. Theonoustos, God-breathed. So for the remainder of our time this morning, I just want to talk to you about some, some biblical ways that we can test different foundations. You know, Bailey and I, about a year ago, we bought a home out in Heartland, Texas. And I'll tell you, the process of buying a home is a beast, especially right now. Okay, it's not fun. Now imagine selling a home isn't very much fun either. And... One thing you've got to do if you're going to sell a home or buy a home is you've got to bring in a contractor. You've got to bring in an inspector. You've got to bring in an appraiser. Okay, And we're all just sitting on you know, pins and needles waiting for what those people are going to say about our house that we're trying to buy or sell. Okay? We need someone to come in and test our foundation and make sure that we're not going to buy a house that's a piece of junk. We need to make sure that we're not going to sell someone a piece of junk either. So we have to bring in those people to test our foundation. So how do we as Christians test our foundation? 
And how do we test the foundations of others that come to us? Well, first, I would... And by the way, this isn't an exclusive list. I'm sure we could come up with a lot more tests. But the first test we'll talk about this morning is the test of a false prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22 says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So he says, if someone comes to you and claims a prop to be a prophet, yet they have one false prophecy, you're supposed to reject them. Don't listen to them. They're not from God. Just one. You know, the cool thing about false prophets is they actually prove themselves. We don't have to do anything. They're going to make the prophecy and it will be proved whether they're actually a prophet or not. Okay, it's our job just to respond accordingly if we do see a false prophecy. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, throughout their history have a tradition of false prophecy. And I'm sure some of you today have been alive for some of that stuff. So you'll probably know what I'm talking about. In 1899, the Jehovah's Witnesses prophesied that in 1914... All of the world's governments would be overthrown when Jesus came back in 1914. Did that happen in 1914? You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses also prophesied in 1918 that in 1925, the prophets like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would return and they would actually reign on the earth. Did that happen in 1925? You know, in 1968... The Jehovah's Witnesses prophesied again, and they said that in 1975, the world would end with Armageddon. And if you weren't a part of their group, then you were going to be burnt to a crisp. Now, how many of you were alive for 1975? You don't have to raise your hand, I guess. Did that happen in 1975? If there's one false prophecy, we are to reject them. I want you to think back to the elections of 2016 and the elections of 2020. How many false prophets did you say, did you see on TV saying things about the election? How many false prophets did you see on the internet saying things about the election? I'm telling, telling you folks, if they say one thing that ends up being false, one false prophecy, we reject them. Another test that we can perform is the counterfeit savior test and the counterfeit gospel test. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul speaking here. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that was proclaimed, or if they receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You see, Paul here is criticizing the Corinthians, and he's saying, you've allowed false teachers to come into your churches and preach a false savior and preach a a false gospel. And, And Paul here, I mean, he's not pulling any punches. He's saying, you put up with it. Do we put up with that stuff? false teachers in our own lives you know paul says in galatians chapter one he says let them be anathema let them be accursed if they come to you and preach a different gospel 
that we put up with things like that. Paul actually goes on to say here in this chapter, in verse 12, he says, And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. Paul worked to undermine their claims, the false teachers' claims. He goes on to say, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You know, recently Bailey and I, we took a trip to Fort Worth, and we went to the rodeo last Saturday, and we had a blast. It was a lot of fun. We got to go down to the Fort Worth Stockyards, and I got to eat a steak, and it was awesome. We had a lot of fun. Bailey got to do a lot of shopping. We had a good time. Sunday did not have a good time. We we took her to the rodeo, and I'll recommend, we're learning, okay, but do not take a seven-month-old to the rodeo. They do not like it. But we had a good time in Fort Worth. But I'll tell you, as soon as we walked into the stockyards and we rounded that first corner, we saw a Jehovah's Witness there on the corner talking with folks. And we walked past, and I was like, that's weird. And we kept walking. And we keep walking, and we keep walking, and guess what? We round another corner, and I'm telling you, every other street corner, there was Jehovah's Witnesses posted up talking with folks. And I said, Bailey, i got to go talk to them. And she said, please don't. You're going to make this whole day about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I said, okay, I promise. All right. Do we put up with things like that readily enough? You know, sadly, the truth is, folks, the Jesus that the Jehovah's Witnesses have is a false Jesus. You know, they teach that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Is that what Scripture teaches about Jesus? You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses actually teach that Jesus didn't create the world. He just helped God organize matter. Is that the Jesus of Scripture? You know, and I'll, and I'll say as far as their gospel is, a, is a concerned, the Jehovah's Witness gospel, you know, they've got some good things in their gospel. They've got repentance. We all need to repent. They've got confession. We need to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. We've got to be baptized. Those are all great things that they teach. But on top of all those things that they teach, they also have the Watchtower and Track Society based in New York with eight men running the show. And what they say goes... And on the day of Armageddon, if you're not listening to what they say, that's their gospel, folks. Is that the gospel of Scripture? What does Scripture say about Jesus? You know, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You know, the true Jesus of Scripture was there in the beginning with God creating all things that were created. And then our Jesus entered into His own creation and took the form of a servant. He gave up all that glory and majesty that He held with the Father before creation, and He entered into creation in a lowly baby born in a manger. And our Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. No transgressions, no mistakes, And Jesus went to the cross, and He was hung there by Jews who hated Him. 
And he hung on that cross for you and me. His blood dripped on that, dripped down that cross for you and me. That's our Savior. That's the true Jesus of Scripture. As far as the gospel of Scripture is confirmed, concerned, you know, Jesus died on that cross for you and me. But that's not the end of the story. They buried Jesus in a tomb, and then three days later, that tomb was empty. And when we obey Christ in the act of baptism, we die like Jesus did as well. We are buried with Him in that tomb, and then we raise up out of that water to walk in newness of life. That is the gospel of Scripture, folks. Don't put up with false teaching. Let's teach truth. And that brings us to the final point this morning. Is it biblical? That is kind of what we've been talking about all day, and that's the final test we'll talk about this morning. Is it biblical? Guys, I'm not going to belabor belabor this point because I've talked to you about the Bereans several times in previous sermons. But in Acts chapter 17, we see an example of an incredible group who embraced the centrality of Scripture. You know, Paul in the first century, was on his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul. And he's traveling through Macedonia, and he crosses over into Asia, and he goes to Thessalonica. And he preaches in their synagogues there. He preaches the truth. What happened in Thessalonica? They rejected him. They didn't want to hear it. And so what Paul does is he leaves Thessalonica, and now he comes down to Berea. And he says in verse 11, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Why were the Bereans more noble than the Thessalonians? You see, the Bereans, they didn't just accept Paul because he said he was an apostle and they just took him at his word. No. And the Bereans didn't just reject Paul because he was preaching something different. No. They didn't accept or reject. They took what Paul said and they took it home with them and they studied it out further. They opened up their holy scriptures and they confirmed what Paul has said with scripture. And I'll tell you, no matter what you ever hear from this pulpit or any other pulpit in America, no matter what man says about God and his teachings, if it is not confirmed with scripture, if you can't back it up with scripture, then... It's false. It's not true. Biblical, the Bible is our authority. I don't care what a man says. I don't care what a church says. And in fact, I don't care what warm, fuzzy feeling we get in our hearts. I care about, is it biblical? I care about what the Bible has to say. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, we read, The the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's Jesus speaking. You see, if we want to change something, if we want something different than what Scripture has already laid out, we have to ask the question, by what authority would I change it? Because I don't have that authority. Only God does. For baptism, for example. You know, Baptism isn't taught in every church in this nation. It it really isn't. But, you know, time and time again, we find baptism talked about over and over again throughout Scripture and in the New Testament. By what authority would I change that? Okay? You think about men and women's roles. This is a controversial topic in our society, men and women's roles. 
But how, by what authority would I change what has already been laid out in Scripture for the home and for the church? Think about God's Word as a whole. You know, repeatedly I find things in here that convict me and make me go, man, I, I shouldn't be living my life this way. And this, this convicts us. It corrects us. It, it's for reproofing and for doctrine. And when I look at it and I go, I don't like that, by what authority would I change it, folks? I don't have that authority. In conclusion this morning, what do we do whenever someone comes to us with another gospel? What do we do whenever someone presents to us another Christ, another God, another Scripture? Or what if someone proves themselves to be a false prophet? Paul says that he is working to undermine their claims. That was what Paul's focus was, undermining the claims of false teachers. What about us as a church? Is that our focus? What about you and I as members of the body of Christ? What is our duty to go out and preach truth to people? Do we have a solid foundation to stand on? And is that foundation built on rock, solid rock, or is that foundation built on shifting sand? Strong foundations are vitally important if a structure is to remain standing during a significant storm. We see that every year when hurricanes hit our coast. And in 2008, a Category 4 hurricane ripped through Galveston, Texas with winds of over 143 miles per hour. Hurricane Ike almost destroyed everything in its path. Not long after the hurricane swept through, one picture surfaced that caught the world's attention. And it revealed a small yellow house. A small yellow house that had been left unscathed in the midst of miles and miles of coastal rubble. Investigators determined that the house had been damaged in a storm years earlier. And so the owners of that house, they then rebuilt it. They rebuilt its foundation to meet modern day hurricane standards. And when Ike unleashed its fury, Hurricane Ike, that house remained standing when everything around it was flattened. Folks, we're going to have false teachers come to us throughout the rest of our lives. The church is going to have false teachers come against it for as long as it exists. Don't let the words of false teachers flatten you. Don't let the words of the world and the teachings and doctrines of men sweep you away and flatten you. Build your house on the solid ground of Scripture. Guys, it is our roadmap. That's what the Bible is. That's why God has delivered it to us. It is our manual for how we live our lives. It is our blueprint for how we build up His church. More importantly, though, do you have a relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, the only way that you can have a relationship with someone is by communicating. It's kind of hard to get to know somebody if you don't actually communicate with them. And thankfully, our God has gone through incredibly great lengths in order to communicate with you. Not only did He send His Son into the creation and do all the wonderful things that Jesus did, but God has delivered this Word through time, through history, so that it got to us here today at our church. God desperately wants to have a relationship with you. Have you come to the Father this morning? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And when we obey Scripture, we obey Jesus. 
And when we read Scripture, we read about our God and His, what He wants for our lives and how He wants us to structure the way we live our lives. And so I would encourage you this morning, open up a Bible, study what God wants for you, learn from it, correct yourself, reprove from it, build doctrine from it, and let's make Scripture our authority. I appreciate your kind attention this morning. Maybe you recognize that your life has some things that maybe aren't foundational to the Christian faith in it. Maybe you've got some things in your foundation that aren't very solid. If that's the case, let's talk about it. Let's study it out further. Let's talk about your foundation. Or maybe this morning you're struggling because you know you've got sin in your life that you need to take care of. Maybe you haven't taken that next step and been baptized into Christ. The water's ready this morning, and we certainly would love to help you. If there be one of either case, we ask that you come to the front, take a seat on this pew as we stand and as we sing. Heaven will be. I don't know what beauty or what glory I'll see. I don't know what wine will bloom and morning divine.